When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Friday, April 10th, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast, the daily edition here on cleveland.com with Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga. Good to talk to you guys. Uh, and Paul, uh, it, it's another day here in isolation, another day in quarantine, but uh, <laughs> hey, you know, the, the, the beat doesn't stop. The news doesn't stop uh, in, in terms of, of covering Major League Baseball, covering the Indians. Uh, we're still trying to do our best to, to drum up stories and drum up news on these guys. Uh, one of the uh, the big things that we're anticipating is possibly in the next uh, in the coming days in the coming week here is Major League Baseball's report on Boston in the uh, the cheating investigation from 2017-2018. If if they do come out like they did uh, with Houston with their report on a Monday, uh, how do you think that's going to be received by by those that cover baseball? Well, you know, I don't know if it will be as as severe as as uh, the reaction was with Houston, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like Boston was, was doing it as long as, as Houston. And, uh, but still, you know, they got to the world series, right. In two, they won the world series in 2018. Um, you know, I, I've, I've read stuff that it, they don't think it's as severe as that. The, the Red Sox don't think they did anything wrong. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, I guess that's. Well, the Astros still don't think they did anything wrong. Yeah, I guess that's what you expect them to say. And, uh, but yeah, you know, the guy that's the, that has the target on his back to me is, is Alex Cora. I, I think this guy, you know, he might be banned for life. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, this is, this is a good guy. I, I covered him when he played for the Indians, but you know, I don't see this is a, this is a one, two punch with Houston and now with, with Boston, I think that that's where the uh, that's where the you know the heavy weight is going to drop. Right. I think the fact that it followed him from uh, you know the bench in Houston to to Boston and uh, you know that that sort of thing, it, they're going to make a, a guy. I I go back to the report from Houston and how it singled out and specified you know only a few names. It specified Jeff Lunau and uh, AJ Hinch and Carlos Beltran and Alex Cora. Those names that were in there, those are all guys that have been fired, you know. So whatever a report from uh, Commissioner Manfred's office is going to say, you, you pay attention closely to the names in that report. Anybody who's named specifically is probably going to be somebody who's without a job uh, at some point, you know, along the lines if, if, if there's anybody in the, the Boston organization that uh, is going to face penalties from that. Speaking of penalties, 
you know, it was revealed uh, within the last couple of weeks that, you know, Hinch and Luna, who have uh, one-year suspensions, uh, you know, whether or not Major League Baseball gets played this year, those one-year suspensions are being served. That's that's it. They're, uh, you know, whether there's a season or not, their suspensions are over at the end of the uh, the, the 2020 campaign. Yeah, because uh, Manfred's, uh, you know, report on the in- on the cheating, you know, specified at the end of the 2020 season. So it's right there in the report. You know, I still think those guys, you know, they're going to have a really a tough time getting getting back into baseball. I, I I can't see anybody touching those guys with a ten foot full pole, and and at least for five, six, seven years, maybe Hinch is is first. You know, gets gets a crack at it, but it seemed like, you know, everything in that organization flowed from uh, Lunau. It, right. it flowed downhill, you know, and he he was the instigator. He set the culture. And I think he pays the price, the biggest price. I I, I agree. I think uh, Lunau it'll take a long time for if if he ever gets back in. Uh, Hinch maybe within a couple of years he's sitting on somebody's bench as a bench coach, something like that. Uh, but what really sticks for me is the fact that you know the players not getting punished. That's one thing. That's a whole another conversation. But Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, is sitting up there on a pile of money that he made off of the 2017 World Series championship. And he's not paying, uh, other than a, what, a $2 million fine, something something like that? $5 million. Uh, five, okay, $5 million. Uh, again, uh, he sneezes and $5 million comes out. So I, I'm not really, you know, impressed by that. Uh, I would, this is the kind of ownership, if this is how the ownership, you know, views their own like that, I, I, you, you, in an ideal world, Jim Crane would be forced to sell the Houston Astros. That that that's my opinion, but you know that that's never going to happen. Uh, it was hey, interesting with with Evan Gaddis. Did you see that he's retiring? He mm-hmm. he's going to donate his ring to a charity or sell it and, re, and he sell. Should, it. He should give it to two hobbits and have them run it up the side of uh, of uh, Mount Doom in Mordor, <laughs> cast it into the flame. That's where that ring belong uh, deserves to go. But I mean, this is the first guy that really showed some contrition, though. I mean, he showed. Right, some, well, what has he got to lose? He's, yeah, he's, he's done. He's retired. He's, he's, he's done. Money, yeah. He's done. Uh, you, you toss that just like the Lord of the Rings. You toss that ring into Mordor. <laughs> have have El Tuve uh, bite somebody's finger off and jump in with him. I'm, I'm making way too many nerd references to uh, Lord of the Rings here, but uh, you know, I, you're laughing out of being polite there. Hey, uh, I, I just want to let our listeners know. Uh, they can subscribe to Subtext, Indian Subtext, and give us your thoughts on Boston and Houston and the cheating scandal uh, that that sort of has been brushed aside since the uh, the onslaught of the uh, the coronavirus uh, epidemic. But uh, you know, this, again, hey, whether they're playing in in their home ballparks or in spring training ballparks in Arizona, uh, when those Astros players step up to the plate for the first time this year, even if there's nobody in the park it's still going to be something that that you're going to want to see. So uh, sign up for subtext. You can have a conversation here back and forth via text with Paul, with myself, uh, about the Indians, about baseball in general, any questions you have. And it's the exclusive way to get in touch with us to get your questions answered here on the podcast. Uh, the number again to do that, uh, text to 216-208-4346. Text your questions. Uh, and you'll be prompted to sign up. It's three ninety nine a month, 
Uh, and, and trust me, when, when we finally do get to Arizona and we're out there getting ready for this, uh, um, you know, spring training, uh, shortened spring training and, and whatever kind of season they're going to have out there in, a, in, the, in the biodome, you're going to want to be subscribed to Indian Subtext to get the, uh, the inside uh, scoop from either Paul or myself out there. Uh, so, yeah, Paul, uh, just, you know, looking forward here. Um, you know, in the next week or so here on the, on the daily podcast, we're going to start previewing, uh, the, the AL central and, uh, the competition that the Indians are going to face, you know, out there in Arizona, no matter what the schedule looks like, you're still going to have to beat the teams in your division. And it's going to start with, uh, with teams like Minnesota and Chicago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, those are the two teams to beat. I think, uh, this, this, uh, you know, delayed start would probably hurt the White Sox more than anybody young, young team. Uh, you know, they've got some veteran guys in there to stabilize it, but that core of that team is young. And, uh, I don't know if they probably haven't been through a, I'm sure they haven't been through anything like this. They haven't been through a labor or a work stoppage, you know, guys like Encarnacion or veteran guys have been through that. They know how to handle delays, but, you know, I think that, that is really a setback for the White Sox because, you know, they built this team, they put it together to win now. And this was supposed to be their breakout year. So they're kind of sitting, sitting with twiddling their thumbs. And uh, I think, uh, you know, and that's, that's got to help uh, the twins and the Indians, I believe. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, it sets things up for a, a lot of competition there in Arizona between the Indians and the twins. And however, the, the arrangements are going to set up with, with all the teams being in Phoenix at once. Minnesota is going to be one of those teams, the only one of those teams that's really got to come over from Florida. So they're going to be basically a team without a home uh, trying to fit in there. And it, it'll be even more difficult for, let's say, the Twins coming over to Arizona than it would be for the Indians and the White Sox. And, uh, you know, I, I believe – don't the, the Royals – Royals train in Arizona too. Royals train in Arizona. I think the Tigers and the Twins are the only ones that that yeah. train in Florida. I so. think that's you. That's a, you. You hit on something good there, Joe. That's a good point. I mean, it's got to be a huge disadvantage to try and move your whole operation from Florida mm-hmm. and uh, set up uh, wherever your front office, your you know your GM, your your director of baseball operations. Where do they set up? Where does your team train? You know, that's, that's gotta be, that's really, I mean, all these guys, you think, I think of Toronto with that just poured millions of dollars into their spring training complex and, and they got to come halfway across the country to, to play in Arizona if that's how this works out. And right. I just think that puts them behind the eight ball. Well, what, what was it like back when the, when the Indians had the, the hurricane blow through in Florida and they, they weren't prepared with that. It wasn't that, did yeah, they have like was it Homestead? Got but they had never they had never been in Homestead. They were supposed to move to Homestead. Then Hurricane Andrew came through and and wiped out the Miami and and basically the ballpark. And they found Winter Haven. You know uh, the I think the Red Sox have just left Winter Haven. Mm-hmm. It was standing there empty, so they kind of moved in and you know really didn't miss a beat. So they they didn't stay an extra year in Arizona. They were out of Arizona. They they yeah. went to Winter Haven instead. See, right. that, that's almost like the, the situation here. It's not, but it's not like there are any spring training sites in Arizona that are standing empty at all. All the right. ones in Arizona yeah. are, are, are full. But, but you do have, like you said, some, uh, some colleges out there. You've got University of Arizona, Arizona State, 
that have nice stadiums and, and places for. There's, a, there's an old ballpark that uh, the A's used to play in in downtown Phoenix, and maybe that has some offices where they, you know, you can move in there and, right. and set up your front office. And of course, there's I, I, I don't know how useful High Corbett Field would be, but that that'd be kind of a throwback. You'd have yeah. a you could have a, a major league reunion out there if the Indians are ever playing uh, uh, at, at High Corbett. That'd be kind of interesting yeah the bad thing is it's two hours up and two hours back so oh, that, whoever that team gets stuck down at the far end of the state okay so we'll cross that one off because we don't yeah. want to we don't want to have to drive out to there for for games <laughs> yeah, but, uh but yeah and 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 also you got to think about the timing of things with this this plan uh the arizona plan you're going to want for the east east coast you're going to want games to be you know seven o'clock starts here on the east coast right you're not you don't want to be playing night games until one in the morning if they're starting late out in Arizona. That, that, that just wouldn't be good optics. And that means starting earlier in the day in Arizona. And that's going to be – it's going to be toasty <laughs> out there in, in uh, Arizona. Yeah. What, 4 o'clock starts out there then, if that's Ooh. the case? Six, uh, you know, you know, yeah, you, I think, you know, yeah, I would think they try to play as many games as late in the afternoon as they could. Right. You know, because – that is that really? I mean, it's smoking out there. Just when it gets into you know July and, and June and July, even in uh, May, you know May, it's 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 hot out there. Right. Well, uh, let's um, let's jump into some questions here. What do we have uh, from our readers who have submitted on subtext? Okay, this is from uh, uh, Captain Ron from Mender, uh, and I think he's responding to uh, the 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 question that, that was online today about Mark McGuire hitting the uh, Budweiser sign mm-hmm. uh, at Jacobs at progressive field. And he says, didn't Albert bell hit the bud sign during a playoff game. And uh, I, I, you know, no, he did not. That's, uh, that's all I can say. Maybe, you know, I think some, maybe some guys hit it during BP, maybe during the home run hitting contest right. you know, in 97. But I, I know Albert didn't, didn't, uh, you know, Albert didn't do that. Albert didn't hit long home runs. He just hit them. He hit a lot he of home runs. laser beams. He he would hit yeah. like balls that would get, you know, uh, launch angle wasn't necessarily the uh, the the thing with with him. The balls would get out in a hurry. They they yeah. would jump. So yeah, it, it, he would pepper the first couple of rows of the bleachers out there in in left field, but. Uh, not necessarily go, uh, you know, halfway up the seating like, uh, you know, we we've seen Larry Na- uh, not Larry, Na- um, <laughs> Mike Napoli, uh, yeah. hit, uh, you know, launch balls that that went deep into the in the um, bleachers out there. And Mark McGuire's, I, I believe he hit one off the Budweiser side, and then he hit one that that went to the left of the scoreboard and would yeah. have hit the scoreboard had it gone. Uh, you know, a few feet to the right, but it hit one of those pillars, it right? Hit one it hit a, pillars, a support pillar, yeah. Scoreboard up. And another one I, I remember is, is Jose Canseco hitting the back wall of the old bullpen, the mm-hmm. Indians' old bullpen in dead center field. And it, <laughs> we asked him after the game, uh, you know, he asked how far it was. And uh, it, it came back, you know, a lot shorter than he thought it was. And he goes, mm-hmm. those guys must be drunk up there. <laughs> that he, you know, he thought it was like 500 feet, but. Well, coming from Jose, coming from Jose Canseco, that's saying a lot, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if he's calling out the the scoreboard operators for being yeah, drunk, yeah. I guess that's interesting. All right, what do we got next? Uh, this is from um, 
uh, uh, Jonathan from Port Washington. He goes, why hasn't Oral Hershiser uh, garnered enough votes to be in the Hall of Fame? He won the, he's a Cy Young winner, 200 wins in his career, longest scoreless inning streak. What am I missing here? Oh, so he fell off the ballot then, right? He's Yeah, he was – I checked. He was on the ballot in 2006 and 2007 for only two years. Wow. So, you know, he got – his first year he got 11.2% of the vote. The next year he didn't get the required 5%. He got 4.4% and fell off the ballot. Now, he was, he was eligible in 2018 in the, today's era – you know, vet the one of the veteran committees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, spinoffs, and he, you know, he didn't get. He he needed seventy five percent of the vote there. I don't think he got. You know, he did. Obviously, he didn't get in there either. So was he a, was he a finalist that year, or was he just eligible? And he, he was on the ballot. He was, he one was on the ballot. Well, I mean, and that's the and that's the the next step for him is to to make that ballot consistently when that committee comes up every what three every, four years. Yeah, yeah. Every, I think it's a four-year cycle. Like, yeah. So his his next chance, or is it a six-year cycle? I think no. It's it's a four-year four-year cycle because twenty four, four committees. Okay, so twenty eighteen. No, it's it's a six-year, isn't it? I thought. I think he's he's in you know two thousand twenty-four. I think it because he would Lofton and him would be eligible at the at same, the same time. time. Yeah. So so that's a another. It, those are. We mentioned the last two days here. We've mentioned Kenny Lofton being eligible in that in, in that same committee, and uh, Oral Hershiser also being eligible. That that would be the time, and and so you know if if the and Albert, is, Albert is eligible on that too, right? And what did we have? Uh, who was on? Was it last year that was talking? We were talking about Omar getting into the Hall of Fame through the uh, the writers' vote, and we're talking. It was a Bayerga who who keeps saying that there should be you know, four or five guys from that 95 team who were, who were in the hall of fame besides yeah. Eddie Murray. I think you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. That, and Definitely. that's true. And, you know, and, and Manny Ramirez would, would, were it not for the, the steroids and, and the uh, performance enhancing drugs and whatnot, he would have been, you know, yeah, he would without been, question he would in there. 555 home runs. He'd be in there right now, but Manny was, just that still irritates me. <laughs> just irritates me. But Oral, you know, Oral, you know, I think he's got a case. You know, he he it was he has an interesting career. You know, he had the big year in in nineteen eighty eight when he you know when the Dodgers won the World Series. He goes twenty three and eight, two point two six ERA. Then he then he kind of hurts his shoulder, and he, you know he goes in about a four or five year decline. And then when he's thirty six, the Indians sign him. After uh, you know, after the strike, and he has like you know four or five really productive years, right? And, and you know, he, he wins. I think he won, you know, sixteen games his first year with the Indians, and four more in the postseason that that year in two thousand fifteen. And and he still, even when he left the Indians, he pitched well. But he, I don't know if that that middle portion of his career might hurt him, might hold him back. Right. Well, you know, and it, injuries, and you're talking about. Uh, the things that the the Hall of Fame looks for and covets is that that longevity and that like you know good six year stretch and if if his best stretch of pitching is broken up by you know three or four years of being injured that's that that's going to make it real tough. Uh, but in terms of you know nice guys, uh, he's he's probably towards the top of the list. Uh, good know. guy and a, and a big game pitcher, Joe. Eight right. and three in the postseason, two point five nine ERA, 
22 games, 18 starts. You know, he was like, uh, um, he was like, uh, I'm trying to, who's the guy from Boston that, that got 70% uh, this year? Uh, you know, uh, oh, Kurt Schilling. Yeah, Kurt Schilling. He, he's, he's like Schilling in, at, Schilling and his stats and postseason stats are very similar. Right. Uh, all right, one more, uh, one more real quick uh, question from the, the peanut gallery. This, this is a good one for you, Joe. You'll enjoy <laughs> this. This is from Phil Haas from uh, Marion. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about sliding mittens here. I assume when, a st- when, a, when, a, when stealing a base, the tip of the sliding mitten con- contracting the bag is the basis for a safer out call. Is there any regulation on the length of the mittens? Ex- the length of the mittens. Uh, if not, theoretically, someone could have one a foot long. You All know, right. Yeah. I <laughs> wow. <laughs> we're we're really getting into the hypotheticals here, aren't we, Paul? Yeah. What did you find out? What did you uh, what was what did you research discover uh, uncover with the the sliding mittens? Yeah. The you know just at a quick glance of uh, Google, uh, the 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 early the latest information I could find was on. T- in 2017, and this was a story that said there are no regulations uh, on on the length of, of a, a sliding mitten, and that surprised me because in baseball they've got regulations for everything. Now, the, maybe in the last three years that has changed, but you know, I, I also couldn't see a guy like uh, could you see Kenny Lofton trying to steal second base while while lugging a six foot uh, a mitten, you know, on his right hand or something? Well, <laughs> that, yeah, that would down, wouldn't it? We're talking about sliding mitten extensions in order to make uh, make the play closer at at, at the plate uh, or at the bag or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't see that that happening. And and if he was wearing something like an extension on the end of a sliding mitten, it would be obvious to everybody. They would see it, and you you got to wonder. It, until somebody does something like that, it's it. There's no question. There's no reason to regulate it. But the first guy that tries doing it, and maybe he puts some, uh, maybe he puts some tape or some colored tape on the end of it, and tries to make it longer that way. Who, who knows? We're talking about guys stuffing their their sliding mittens now. That's <laughs> we don't need to get into. Yeah, that. you know, I, I, there was a there was a third there was a guy that played third base for the Indians, Jack Callahan, mm-hmm. I think, and uh, he had this mitt, his you know favorite mitt, and he put you know tongue depressors in the fingers, you know, to keep really? the mitt stiff. Okay. And I was wondering, I mean, what if you did that? But it's a mitten, right? So I don't think you could do that. Right. There's is no, it, you know, di- singular uh, digits in there. Is so. that Jack, Jack Hanrahan? Jack Hanrahan. That's Hanrahan. what I'm saying. Hanrahan. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, anything with the glove, with the mitt like that. But the infielders like to keep their mitts, uh, the infield gloves are, are actually shorter. That They, they like to yeah. have more, more of a feel. The outfield gloves, now those are regulated. Those are regulated by length. Uh, right. You can't have a, a, a you know, a, a super, basically you can't go out there with a fishing net to, to catch fly balls in the outfield, which you I know, think, back in the 90s. I, I would like to see doing. the umpires. Yeah. I would like to see the umpires check those gloves. Cause well, you're right. Some of those are like nets. Brett Butler used to have one that hung down to his knees, man, <laughs> to his ankles. And uh, you knew that that wasn't regulation. We are, we are getting dangerously close to some, some, some really bad innuendo here. So we're going to move on. Uh, hey, <laughs> Wanted to uh, uh, you know mention we we've been running these features uh, the last couple of days, uh, the last couple of weeks actually since we've been in quarantine on uh, you know the Indians' top thirty prospects. Coins uh, you wrote about uh, Nick Sandlin. To me, Nick Sandlin's an interesting guy. I think that that you know could fill a couple of roles for the Indians. 
here in the next couple of years uh, in the bullpen. Yeah, he, you know, Joe, if he didn't, if he didn't fracture his uh, right forearm uh, in in June last year and then have to undergo surgery, he would have definitely, you know, at least been in camp this year. Mm -hmm. I know they they really like him. He's kind of a, he's a little right-hander. He's got kind of a funky sidearm motion. Uh, You know, he just, he was their second round pick in 2018, shot through the minor leagues, four stops in one year. You know, Cody Allen is the only guy that I can remember doing that. And, uh, um, you know, so I think, you know, he is kind of a deceptive, you know, Mm -hmm. sidearm guy. Uh, Now, the question is, you know, that might limit him is the three batter rule, you know, if you, because he would, you know, he would be great, you know, right on right guy, but he's going to have to show he can get lefties out too. Well, and that's, uh, you know, maybe another benefit of, you know, the way things have shaken out with his injury last year and with this, you know, potential to, to have no minor league season this year, maybe, uh, you know, it buys him another year to, to work on his, his development and and whatnot. And, uh, you know, but they, they bring him along slowly that way. And, and, depending on how Adam Simber does in the next year or so that they've still got control of him. Uh, he would, he would be a guy if, if Adam Simber can't accomplish the things that, that they're looking for him to do that, you know, maybe they've got uh, Sandlin waiting in the wings to come up and fill that role uh, as well. Yeah, uh, definitely a guy that would give you a different look out of the bullpen. Uh, we've also been running some uh, on this date in Indians history features uh, the last couple of days today. We, we, we wrote about uh, the game back in 1987 when, Phil Necro and Steve Carlton uh, combined to uh, beat the the Blue Jays. It was the first time that two 300-game winners had ever pitched in the same game for the same team and won. Uh, you know, Paul, what do you what do you remember about that 1987 season and having those two guys on the roster? You know, if only for a few months, uh, that that had to be interesting. You, you've got, you know, Phil Necro. Uh, he was 48 years old. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, it was funny because Nico, they'd signed him in 86, and this was his second year with the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'd be out there. Uh, he wouldn't do any calisthenic. I mean, he wouldn't run because they wouldn't <laughs> let him run because they were afraid he'd blow out, you know. So so Johnny Gorrell, the third base coach, this is how he got, you know, he got ready in spring training and, and stuff. He, he just – hit him ground balls. He would stand, you know, kind of in the middle of the infield and, and he'd field ground balls. And, uh, when, and then you'd see him, you know, doing exercises with the rest when they're stretching and mm-hmm. when they were doing jumping jacks. But all he did was move his arms. He didn't even – He, didn't <laughs> he wouldn't move. jump. He, just, he, he, was just, he was just sitting there. And, you know, <laughs> he was a great guy. He was, he was, he was, he was a fun guy. And then uh, I remember, you know, in 87 – um, they um, just as they're about to leave camp in Tucson, they they sign uh, they sign Carlton, and uh, you know we're sitting on the bus going to the airport, and Dave Clark had made the club, and uh, they, they, the and then when they get Carlton, they take we see we see the equipment guys take Clark's bags off the truck, and oh wow. And he's 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 staying. He's staying. he's opening the season wherever. I think they were in Buffalo then the Triple A team. And and Carlton, you know, made the club. So it, right. it was it was a it was a tough thing. And Carlton uh, Carlton was an interesting cat, you know, because he didn't talk to he didn't talk to the media, right? He he didn't he talk to the media since like the seventies. Yeah, but he was um, 
you know, he was on the, he was on the downslope. He had pitched with three teams in 86 and he was, he was just trying to hang around. He was just, he really still loved pitching, thought he could get somebody, people out. He was 42, I think. Right. Right. And uh, so it was cool. It was, it was interesting to see those two guys. Well, and I, I read something interesting that, uh, you know, in that game uh, from, was it April 9th, uh, 1987, when they beat the Blue Jays, Necro started the game. He went, you know, five innings, and then Carlton came in in relief and pitched the sixth through the uh, the ninth, and he didn't allow a run, and he had a couple of strikeouts, but it was his first relief appearance since 1967, and that snapped – it was at the time, it was a major league record, uh, 455 appearances without a relief appearance. So he, he had a relief appearance in 1967 – and then he went 455 starts Jeez. and then didn't, you know, not coming out of the bullpen and then came out of the bullpen and that, that, that actually snapped his streak. And he had gone on and, and started a few more games for the Indians and for the, uh, I believe the twins. Uh, yeah, the the season. Yeah. So like he, he could have extended that, that record had he not made those a uh, couple of, you know, handful of relief appearances for the Indians that year. I wonder if that ever bothered him that, uh, that that streak, uh, you know, got snapped by, you know, just coming in to, to save a sort of a meaningless game for the Indians in 1987. Well, they signed him as a long reliever because they had the rotation mm-hmm. set. And right. that's, they told him, hey, you're, if you come, you're, you're going you're gonna to pitch out of the bullpen. He eventually made some starts. It was the thing I remember most about uh, Carlton. He had the great slider. Mm-hmm. You know, but this guy, you know, he's definitely he's struggling. But just because he was Steve Carlton, he could get guys out. He could strike you out just with that reputation and with that pitch, you know, he, and it, it was, it was amazing to watch. He, it just, he, he was a big dude and he kind of had a force of nature kind of. Was it only one of, one of only like five guys in, in baseball history to, to have more than 4,000 strikeouts in his career. That's, that's amazing. So, all right. Well, uh, I, I want to let our, our listeners know, Hey, next week we're going to hit you with uh, a bunch of special guests on the show. We've got a couple lined up. Uh, ready to go, and we'll also have some audio clips from players and coaches as well uh, that we're going to play along. Uh, we're gonna hopefully be starting things off with uh, a little bit of Indians history. Uh, Jeremy Fedor from the Indians uh, has put together a new uh, new series that he's he's going through uh, while we're in isolation. Uh, let him explain some of that and find some of the uh, the ghosts and the cobwebs in the Indians archives down there at the uh, at the ballpark too. So, looking forward to that, Paul. Uh, have a have a great weekend. Stay safe. Hopefully, hopefully we can get out and, and enjoy some sunshine and and get back at it early next week here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Good deal, Joe.